Talking Books on News Talk 106 to 108. So much of the literature I love, so people like uh, Coleridge and Wordsworth and, and Hardy, uh, to a lesser extent Dickens, um, and especially the, the non-fiction of, of Virginia Woolf, um, it took me a while to work out that the things that they were really, or the things that they did that I really admired, um, like Thomas Hardy in particular, writes about um, landscape in just sort of a breathtaking way. And his ability to notice things. I think W.H. Auden said that Hardy had a sort of hawk vision, that he was able to, to tune in on, 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 on tiny parts of the landscape and just sort of write about them in these miraculous ways. And I, I started to see that there was a connection between that kind of literature, the, the, the kind of literature that, that, that forced us to look again at the world around us that we were missing, and running, which is something that forces me to, you know, zone out of what it is that I've, I've become obsessed with on any given day. And it gets me outside to, to look at things. What's the man running away from? I'm running from my asthma, emails, responsibilities, middle age, my chair, my chores. I'm on the run from my genetic inheritance too. The amusing words of British writer, teacher and runner Viber Cregan-Reed from his new book, Footnotes, How Running Makes Us Human, published by Ebury Press. Hello, how are you? And you're very welcome to Talking Books. I'm Susan Cahill. It's lovely to have your company this evening. Well, on tonight's show, we're going to explore the sweaty, challenging and glorious world of running with Viber Cregan-Reed and ask, are we becoming too static? In footnotes, Viber Cregan-Reed argues, we don't just see with our eyes, but with our whole bodies. Viber goes on to state, running has taught me that our perceptions occur in a stream or path. We do not take in a single scene all at once. We move through it. So what is running? Can it transform us? And can running make you smarter or at least better at your job? I'm Vibar Cregan-Reed. I've recently published a book called Footnotes, How Running Makes Us Human. I'm a lecturer in uh, 19th century literature at the University of Kent in England. Um, The book is a wide-ranging study of... um, what running means to us, um, what happens when we do it, uh, and all the reasons that we might want to do it. Uh, um, and the reason that I rate it was because I, I, I'm a very passionate runner. I'm not necessarily a very talented runner, but I'm a very passionate runner. It's something that I really, really love doing. And I just felt that there was a lot more going on um, when I did it than me just getting a bit, a bit fitter. Um, so I wrote a book and I found out all kinds of magical things about this uh, very uh, simple and really natural form of exercise. 
Really well done on the book, Fibar. I have to say it's a hugely curious read. It really made me think about my built environment and the natural world around and how I go about my day. Because you asked some unbelievably um, interesting questions and very demanding questions, I might add, of yourself and of the reader as you progress uh, through the book. So hats off to you on that front. I might throw you a big wide open question to kick things off. Is running more than running, do you think? Well, it is. I think um, for the people that, that do it, I think most of them would um, find it very easy to answer that question. They would just say, yes, of course it is. But I think um, so lots of people do run about um, about two million people run in the in the UK. Um, but lots and lots of people don't run and they see runners and, you know, it looks like a, it looks like a terrible thing. And they think that it's bad for your knees or that it gives you gives you injuries and it just looks like a, a, a very uncomfortable uh, way of exercise of exercising and it also looks boring it also looks like there is there is nothing to do while you're doing this kind of exercise so I think for the people that do it they already know that running is more than running and the people that don't maybe they don't and I think when you look at running from the outside it looks like it's something that is um, useful to us that it's done not for itself, but for another reason. It's done because people want to lose weight. Uh, people think that people run because they, they want to get fitter or they want to live longer. Um, so it's, it's, it can be seen as this really quite mechanistic thing, as, as merely just a means uh, to an end to control your weight or to maintain fitness. Whereas what I discovered in the writing of the book was, while those two things are certainly um, true, there are hundreds of things about running that our our body you know is craving for um and rewards us for um in ways that we um in ways that runners might suspect but have never really had the opportunity to confirm so yeah it's a lot more than becoming fit it's a lot more than than just taking in some exercise and it's also something more than um just a just a competitive sport it can be it can be something much bigger and and greater than just a, than just a race. Do you think it could be argued that running is a means to freedom or something close to freedom? It's it's a really really difficult question, and I think it would take a, a, um, a philosopher or a thinker um, much more talented than me to be able to answer it. But one of the uh, reasons um, that I I uh, I wrote the book was because I did have this sense of freedom. It enhanced my uh, feelings of freedom by being able to run. So, as I said before, I'm not I'm not a very fast runner, but I can usually run quite long distances. And there are things that happen uh, in your brain. You get to you get to know um, uh, footpaths, and um, you get to be able to remember um, there's a sort of a visual um, uh, memory of these uh, huge spaces, these huge runs that you can do, where you're able to hold all of this space in your head, and it's it's almost like the world becomes uh, a bigger place once you're free to, to move in it. But also I think that it goes back to the, the sort of previous thing I was saying about the idea that we need to use running for something. And I think so much of our lives are about doing things for, um, for another reason rather than for themselves. And I think it's really, really important that we occasionally put everything down and we do something that we just really, really enjoy whether that's cycling or whether it's yoga, any sort of physical pursuit that's done for the pleasure in and of itself um, will give us 
time away from our jobs, from our commitments, and will give us a sense of, of freedom, I think, from being from having all our time accounted for. So, yeah, I think freedom is a really big aspect. You write in your in your introductions that running has made your life more sustainable and it's given you more than you ever asked of it. Yeah. Can you yeah. talk me through that? Um, it's made my life sustainable. I think the more that I've done it, when I've been through periods of my life when I run um, a lot, um, because I because I do, I go through periods where I run more than um, uh, than at other times. It makes my life sustainable because it, it gives me, well, well, one thing, it de-stresses me. It calms me down. Um, so it makes my life sustainable because it means I can always get away from uh, the things that are piling up on me. So if I have, um, you know, hundreds of emails I need to reply to, all I need is 30 or 60 minutes out on the, out on the tramp, as it were, and I will come back feeling mentally refreshed and more able to deal with those with the things that, well, the things that both matter and don't matter. Why do you think it is, um, Viber, that so many people think that they either don't have the body to be a good runner or they don't have the stamina or the fitness to be able to become uh, either a really good runner or even even start out running, that they talk themselves out of it before they even engage? Well, I think, um, you know, one of the things I, I talk about in the book is that if we were training to be, in, um, uh, to be sedentary workers, you know, to be to not to not do anything, the amount of hours that we put in uh, to our training every day would make us all sort of Olympians. Um, so what happens is once we go to school when we're very young, you know, we have we have a, a kind of um, uh, kinetic and almost uncontainable energy, and then over our 10, um, 10 12, you know, fifteen years of schooling, we are uh, taught to sit still. We're basically in in training for um, sedentary work, sedentary leisure, and uh, and a sedentary life. Now, if you've spent um, you know your time since the age of five to sit around and do nothing, and then at the age of thirty-five you suddenly jump up off the sofa and and take your body running down the street, it's 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 going to be really really unhappy about the decision that you've made, and it's going to it's going to uh, it's going to injure. You know, you you are going to get injured. So I think. When lots of people start any kinds of fitness regime, but running is a, is a particularly good one, they have um, unreasonably high expectations of their abilities, that we are attentive to our activity, but we're not really attentive to our inactivity. You know, it's very easy for us to remember that we did 30-minute exercise yesterday, we're going to do 45 minutes today, but nobody knows how much time they spent sitting down yesterday. You know, they might be able to make a guess, but... I'd be surprised if people were correct within, you know, two or three hours. Whereas with exercise, you can probably do it to a few minutes. So the main thing I would say to um, a new runner is to lower your expectations because almost almost everybody that quits in the first couple of weeks quits because they did too much. I've never, ever heard of anybody that gave up in the first few weeks of running because they did too little, ever. I've never heard of that. So the body will respond. The body responds in really interesting ways to any sort of new exercise. So we have several, um, we have several uh, kinds of tissue. We have osseous tissue, like our, you know, hard tissues, like our, our bones. Uh, we have um, uh, different kinds of soft tissue. We have muscles and we have um, tendons and ligaments. Now, uh, your heart is a muscle, and our, our muscles respond really, really quickly to new forces or new demands. 
that are put on them. So any new runner that goes out and runs for 30 seconds, a minute, two minutes, three minutes, um, the next day maybe their quads might be, um, their, their leg muscles might be a little bit sore. But within a few days, they're going to notice that, that the two or three minutes, the minutes running that they did is suddenly a lot easier because the muscles respond really, really quickly. And the respiratory system is basically muscular. So we, get, we actually get fitter very, very quickly. But the body isn't always in sync with itself. And the harder soft tissues like tendons and ligaments, they can take about two weeks to respond to just the first bit of exercise that you do. And your osseous tissue, your, your bones, can take about four weeks to respond to your first run. So what happens is usually by the end of a month, people's fitness and stamina have increased dramatically, but their bones are you know, basically the same as on day one. So the body is sort of, it's like a minefield um, where we've instilled too much, of, too much sedentary behavior into it, which we take for granted, and then once we take it out on the run, it, 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 it really does struggle. So it needs time and care and attention. Sidebar, you're right. A good runner basically needs a paleolithic body, one that is used to regular movements, has a strong core, excellent glutes and a well-developed intrinsic and extrinsic muscles in the feet and the lower legs. I thought that was very interesting. But again, a lot of people would argue that, you know, I may be have strong, a strong core, but I've got flat feet, let's say, or I may have excellent glutes, but um, I'm just not cut out for it. Well, there's lots of there's lots of evolutionary evidence that suggests that Many of uh, many features of our body have specifically evolved um, for running, not for walking. So, for example, our Achilles tendon. Um, everyone, you know, everyone knows the Achilles tendon. It's the tendon that runs on the back of the leg, um, just above the ankle. Um, uh, most of the primates don't have an Achilles tendon, you do, and you don't need an Achilles tendon to be able to walk. You only need it to be able to run. But we have features. Um, um, I went to see a, um, a paleoanthropologist, and he said we have features um, in our bodies from the tips of our toes all the way to the tops of our heads that, that specifically um, have, evolved, um, have evolved us specifically for running. So um, it means that, you know, just like um, primates can climb trees or just like fish swim, you know, we are, we are designed to, to run. Now, what happens is that the... Um, so there's the, the Paleolithic, and then there's um, more recently there's the, the new geological era is about to be declared, the Anthropocene, and the Anthropocene is basically the modern world where the human where human uh, endeavour has left an indelible mark on the on the on the planet. It's a whole it's a whole big debate, but the differences in the bodies is is that what we have now is we have um, uh, billions of us who um, do very, very different kinds of work. So when we were the um, grassland tribes or you know, when we were um, hunter-gathering tribes, we would move uh, something in the region of five to nine miles every, every single day. Um, and research was uh, published just recently, just recently where it said um, people between the ages of 40 and 60, uh, I think it was 40% of people between the ages of 40 and 60 walked in less, ten, less than 10 minutes per month. That is shocking, isn't it? Yeah, well, if you think that our bodies, our bodies are designed to walk five to nine miles a day, you know, nine miles is about, is about um, uh, two and a half hours walking. So we should be walking for about, say, two to two and a half hours a day. 
and we're walking for, uh, on average, about 10 to 15 seconds. And when you think what that does to the brain, like forget about the body alone, what that does to your sense of creativity and your curiosity in the world and yeah. all over the world, apart yeah, I mean, from, you know, psychological well-being, apart from mojo. Absolutely. You know, we, we only have brains because we move. Um, you know, plants don't have brains. They don't need them. They, they don't need a nervous system because they don't move. So we only have brains because we move. And most of us are becoming um, static. Most of us are, are, are not using our brains for what they were designed to be used for. Our bodies really crave um, movement and they also crave the outdoors. And they reward us in these uh, very subtle but incredibly sophisticated ways. For these for these efforts, so as a hunter gathering um, um, uh, as a hunter gatherer in the Paleolithic, um, you know if you were if you went out on a, an endurance hunt, an endurance hunt is basically it's a kind of hunting where um, early humans used all of the best all their best advantages to um, to uh, track and 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 kill animals. So the main advantages we have are are running, but um, we're, not, we're actually not very good runners. If you look at other other mammals, we're, we're actually terrible. You know, um, I live in London and we have lots of squirrels around and, you know, I can't even outrun a squirrel, you know, and th- these tiny little things. So over short distances, we're, we are just awful runners. But what we're really, really good at is long distance running. Um, so we have um, lots of bits of our body that specifically um, are designed for this long-distance running. So uh, a mammal, a four-legged, you know, a quadruped, um, a four-legged um, mammal has approximately 70% of their body exposed to the sun on a, on, a, on a hot day. Because we're bipedal, because we're on two feet, only about 40% of our body is exposed to the sun on a hot day. So immediately we have a a heat advantage, but um, most mammals, most other mammals don't um, don't sweat for the same reasons that we do. In fact, we're the only um, mammal that does sweat for the reason that we do do, which is because um, sweating is an incredibly efficient way of losing heat. So not only is less of our body exposed to, to the sun, but we also have this incredibly um, efficient technology for for the dumping the heat that that we um, that we take on when we're running on a hot sunny day. So if you go running after an antelope, you know the antelope is going to look back at you disdainfully as it leaps off, um, you know, covering hundreds of yards in 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 um, in a few seconds. But as we plod along for those hundred yards, we're able to keep our body temperature down, whereas the antelopes will eventually spike, and they'll get to the point of after several miles, we'll get to the point of heat exhaustion and we'll still be able to keep going. The mammal will have, will have you know, collapsed. So in the paleo, we are, we were, we're adapted to do this kind of hunting, but our bodies are also wired to reward us precisely for this kind of hunting. So one of the things um, that runners often speak about is the runner's high. Uh, the runner's high um, is uh, this sort of euphoric um, release of um, substances in the blood and in the brain that uh, means that our uh, veins and capillaries dilate, means our, so our blood can flow easier around the body. Um, it's also pain-killing, so if your knees are beginning to hurt at all, you know, um, from your run, uh, it means that you can take less notice of the pain. Um, so this, is, this seems to me to be a, a mechanism, an evolutionary 
biological mechanism that's evolved to reward uh, uh, people that are able to to get food. I mean, there's also the uh, thing about intelligence as well. That's the idea that new brain cells are made on very, very long on very long runs. Yeah, well, what's clear is that. Um... I think anyway, for most people, the best ideas come in motion and whether that's swimming, cycling, running, walking, uh, whatever it is, dancing, that there is a correlation between movement and getting into the flow and allowing your, giving your mind that space where the ideas can come or where you can problem solve. Like I know if any ideas I get, I get them on the bike or I get them when I'm walking. Yeah. And yeah. you know what I mean? And if I have a problem, I get out and walk and I've, I can figure it out. I don't figure it out by being stationary. No, and I think, I think that's, very, that's very common. Um, when we do sort of any kind of aerobic exercise, one of the things that happens, so this would apply to cycling as well, um, but when we do any sustained aerobic exercise, so um, I'd say fast hill walking would be the only kind of walking that would do this. Um, the, there's a part of our brain, it's sort of a horseshoe that sits at the back of our head um, called the hippocampus. And what it does is it does memory indexing um, and it does uh, spatial awareness. So there was tests done on you know, London black cabbies years ago and they were found to have these sort of bulging hippocampuses because they uh, had to acquire all of this knowledge that now um, now is less necessary because we all have uh, you know we all have maps on our phones. So the hippocampus um, uh, during a, 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 any sustained aerobic exercise, uh, new brain cells are pinged into the hippocampus. It's, it's a process called hippocampal neurogenesis. And what they do is they don't make you smarter, but what they do is they make you um, ready to uh, learn something. But there's also the fact is that, you know, it's a common, there's a common saying about, um, we, you know, we only ever use 10% of our brains. And you can draw an, and this is true, but you can draw an analogy uh, between um, brain activity and bodily activity. I mean, I don't know about you, Susan, but, you know, how many muscles are you using at the moment? I think I'm using about 5 or 10% of mine. Um, you can't use... 100% of your muscles are all at once. It doesn't, it doesn't work. I mean, maybe if, if you're having an electric shock or something. But other than that, you can't... It, the system doesn't function in that way. So resources in the brain are... They're basically competitive.